Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I want to welcome you uh, to this church. One of the pastors here uh, at this church, and uh, I'm so glad that you are with us, that we are here together, especially to those of you who are in the overflow room right now. Uh, there's clearly not enough room in this room, so for those of you who are watching in overflow, thank you. There's an extra gift in your stocking, I promise you, uh, for doing that. Uh, I want to take a moment before we get into the truth that uh, we have from God's word today, from the Bible today, as we're going to explore that in the context of God's love and power and presence. I want to just speak a word to where we're at as a nation and where you may be at as an individual, where we're at as a church, in light of the tragic news that came out on Friday uh, from Newton, Connecticut. This is uh, very difficult stuff and very painful stuff. And this is one of those moments where we are unnecessarily reminded of the reality of sin and brokenness and tragedy in our world. And it is especially uh, profound for those of us who are parents. And as Gene and I have wrestled through how we respond as pastors in this community, please know that it, it weighs upon us even heavily, more heavily as parents, because our son Elijah is a first grader as well. And so as we've come into this weekend going, God, how, what do we do? How do we move forward in light of the reality of what is always already there, just the presence of evil in our world? God, how do we engage with you in the midst of that? And I just want to share two thoughts from God's Word, and then we'll get into the message that we had planned for this weekend. But I, I think this might be helpful for you as an individual, as a family, and specifically for us as a church family as we seek to live out the gospel reality here in our city. Two thoughts when we are faced with this kind of pain and loss. And while many of us are miles and miles removed away from the story, we've all faced our own pain and loss, haven't we? At some level, every one of us has. That's part of our story. And so in these times, I want to encourage you to do what Scripture teaches, and that is to mourn, to grieve, to cry. That it's not only okay, it's actually right. It's the right thing to do. Because we have a God who weeps with us. And we are here to celebrate a Savior who himself was familiar with suffering. Who himself wept. Who himself grieved. And in the greatest sermon ever given, the greatest sermon that the world would remember and still talk about 2,000 years later, Jesus, our Savior, opens the opening lines of that sermon are found in Matthew 5, 6, and he says this, Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. Jesus already knows the reality of the presence of sin in our world. Fully aware of it, in fact. Blessed are you when you grieve, when you mourn. Not that God will magically take away pain and complexity from our lives. He never promises that in Scripture. Please don't think that that's what happens, just as you heard Sheila say. God doesn't take those things magically away, but what he does is he is with us. He can and will comfort you, and he can and will comfort those who are suffering around us. So it is right to weep and to mourn. And there's not a sort of ounce of, you know, hearing the story recycled over and over and over again that can bring the healing and comfort that God's presence can. So we cry with God. And as we do, there's a promise from Scripture, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. I think this might be important for us to remember, even in our darkest hours and what seems like our most hopeless moments, is that our God is actually the Father of compassion, that all compassion comes from Him. He's the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. 
And he actually comforts us in our troubles. Now, this is very important. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received. Let me read that to you again. The Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, comforts us. Comforts us who are even miles away from this. Comforts us so that we can comfort those who are in any kind of trouble with the comfort we have already received from God. And so I would encourage you to cry with God and to cry out to God. This is not right. It's wrong. And so we need a God who is greater than us to move. And he is a God who will not only cry with us, but whom we can cry out to and seek comfort and actually have the ability to offer comfort to others. And for those of you who have walked with God through difficult seasons, you know that somehow, somewhere afterwards, God gives you a strength to help others through their difficult seasons, doesn't he? And so that's a hope and a promise we can actually have from a distance. There is something we can do. While we figure out what we want to do and what we can do as a church tangibly to respond to those in Connecticut, what we can do right now is cry with God and cry to God, even in our most troubling seasons. And so what I thought we could do is just pray together as a church right now. Can we do that together? We'll pray. And as we pray for those families, as we pray for that school, as we pray for that community, as we pray for the family of the gunman who now has to bear a burden that they never foresaw. God, we also, we pray for those families. We pray for that community. God, I specifically pray for the churches in that community that they would not offer trite answers or simple answers to complex questions and realities. But God, they would offer hope and healing. And so as a church, we pray for those churches and we pray for that community. And God, we do not have to look across state lines. We pray for the over 250 children who were killed in our city this last year alone due to gun violence. Father God, Father of all compassion, Will you comfort those who've lost? And will you comfort us in such a way that we actually have comfort to offer to our city as well? We need you, God. And we're just more aware of it in times like this. So come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, we have been focusing our hearts and our attention and our teaching for the course of this month around one concept that we see again and again and again throughout Scripture. And I think it's incredibly relevant to where we're at as a nation right now this weekend and where I believe God wants to lead us even more into His presence as we engage more with the world around us. And that's the concept of God's glory, alive and at work and very real in the world that we live in. This big biblical concept that actually is very, very real and and, and tangible and possible in our lives. And so this weekend, what we're going to focus on from God's Word is the gift of glory that God gave to us through Jesus and continues to give to us right up until this Christmas today. And we're at a time where we're kind of, we've come around the corner towards Christmas. And we're thinking a lot about it, and we're thinking maybe about the presents that you need to purchase for others or that you want others to purchase for you, and, and we kind of have our, our list going in our head at least. If we didn't want to admit it, the truth is we all kind of have a list of things. Well, it would be nice if I had this, or it would be nice if I had that. And, and so what I want you to do, just we're going to kind of turn a corner here, but what I'd love for you to do is 
Turn to the person next to you, even in the overflow room. You can, you can do this. I, I'm watching you. I have a screen. I can see you. So you can do this. Now, I would love for you to turn to the person next to you and share from when you were a kid. I want you to think back to when you were a kid. What was something that was on your list that you really, really wanted? Maybe you never got it. Maybe it was that Red Rider BB gun. Maybe it was a Nintendo, or maybe it was a bike, or maybe you did get it. And so what I want you to do is just turn to the person next to you as we think about the things that we want and ultimately the things that God wants for us. What was something on your list as a child that you really, 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 really wanted? So we've got about 47 seconds for you to do this. So don't waste any time. Turn to the person next to you and share what was one thing that made your list as a kid. Go ahead. Go for it. All right, you can go ahead and wrap that up. I wanted to, um, I wanted to share with you. Oh, you guys really want some stuff still, don't you? Okay, I see. I see how it is. It's just now suddenly become therapeutic for you. All right. I want to share with you our kids' list. Actually, my son's list, uh, because our Christmas is alive and well in the Stevens household. And, uh, and so, you know, they have their list that they are, they've kind of put together and the things that they want. They made it really clear to us. In fact, last year, Elijah, our son, really kind of got into this idea of how important the list is and making it very clear what exactly he wants. And so I wanted to show you his list from last year. Not only did he have us write it out, but he drew pictures so that Santa would understand. Friends, this is no small list. And so there's army guys and wooden toy soldiers. There's a President George Washington doll that for some reason he wanted. There's a Super Mario Wii game, and so I had to try and draw Mario just best as I could. But here's what I love. I don't, I don't even remember him saying this. If you look all the way, if you can see it all the way to the bottom, the second to last one, he wrote that he wants a bird machine. I have no idea what that is. Although I think it would make a great name for an indie band, Bird Machine. I have no idea. So this year, that was one sheet of paper he made last year. This is what I love with my son. He's getting smarter and smarter with this whole thing. This year, he's like, Daddy, I really want to make sure that everyone knows because he gets like, it's like there's a Santa component and then there's a family component, but most especially there's a grandparents component. And so he typed, he typed and put his list into an app I have called Evernote, which syncs from my computer to the iPad to the iPhone so that there's no missing what his list is this year. So we've all been sent that and emailed that and everyone's clear about what they need to get him this Christmas. We all have things in our lives that we want for Christmas or that we just want in general that we think if we were to have them, our lives would be complete. But the thing I'd love for us to focus our thoughts around this Christmas is what is it that God wants for you this Christmas? Now, we have our list that we keep with us at all times of the things that we want, but what does God want? What do you think God wants for you this Christmas? And specifically, I don't know if you've ever even had this thought, what do you think God wants from you this Christmas? What do you think God wants for you and wants to give you, but what do you give God? What do you and I get to offer God on Christmas, the holiday he invented? What do we get to offer him? And I think so often our list can keep us kind of right here on the surface, but what we want to look at is something that God offers you this Christmas and that you can in turn actually receive and offer back to God. And that's the gift of his glory. Now, this word glory appears some 300 times throughout the Bible, and it appears again and again and again in the Christmas story. It's a big biblical concept, but we said, let's try to wrap our heads and our hearts around this. So we came up with a working definition a couple weeks ago. And we basically said that the idea of glory, as it appears throughout the Bible, this big picture concept is simply this. It's a tangible reflection of God's infinite perfection. 
It's a glimpse of God. God's glory gives us a sort of tangible reflection, a moment with God, a glimpse of God that only is just that, a sneak peek of the greatness and goodness and infinite perfection of God. And God gives those to us throughout the Bible, but specifically, as we've been talking about, he gives them to us throughout our lives. And so we looked and we said, okay, where does that appear in this story of Christmas? And we looked the first week at the genealogy of Jesus as found in Matthew's gospel. And we looked at how God's glory was woven through some pretty dark turns in his story. Last week, we looked at how God's glory was revealed through the highest of high angels and the lowest of low shepherds and how God's glory came through there as well. This week, we're going to look at the Gospel of John and see how John paints the idea of the gift of glory that comes to us not only that first Christmas, but to our lives today, this Christmas as well. So if you would, grab your Bible and open to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We've got you covered. There's a blue Bible in front of you. I would ask that everyone pulls one out. You don't have to agree with this or believe everything, but we do want you to read it and determine for yourself what you believe to be true about God. So would you grab a blue Bible? You can open to John chapter 1. In the blue Bibles, it's page 739. Page 739. And let me just give you a little context as to how we come into the Gospel of John. We've been looking at each of the Gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus. And Matthew, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, his audience was primarily, primarily Jewish folks that had grown up with the story of God, but who, to whom Matthew was going to ex- extra effort to say, look, this is your Messiah, And so the references that Matthew uses all throughout his gospel, not just in the birth account, point to Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. In Mark's account, Mark is all action. His gospel is all action. If it were a TV show, it would be 24. Like, it's just nonstop, and then, and then, and then, and then kind of stuff. Luke's gospel, Luke was a doctor, and so he wrote from that perspective. So there's a lot of details in Luke's gospel. If you were to read through the gospel of Luke or the book of Acts, you see that he names people by names, that he actually goes down to naming street names at different points. Like, he wants you to know the reality of Jesus actually came. This is not a fairy tale. It's not a story. There was a Jesus. He was the Son of God. He has come to save the world. So Luke goes into great detail. Well, John is the beloved disciple of Jesus, and John sort of gets the bigger picture of the story. And his gospel is for everyone. As you heard Jericho say, that is what led her into relationship with Jesus. Reading the gospel of John and seeing the big picture of God's love. And over and over and over again, John writes about the love of God as made known through Jesus. And so we're going to look at the beginning of his gospel, John chapter 1. And let's look at how he paints this sort of big, beautiful picture of Jesus. And he refers to Jesus again and again. He takes a metaphor. Now, Luke's all details, John's all artsy and beautiful, and takes this metaphor and calls Jesus the Word. He calls him the Word, and he repeats that word, word, over and over and over and over again. So, this is what it says in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. See, that was easy. I set you up for that one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're going to hit pause right there. This is just in one sentence. John encapsulates a lot of theology. In one sentence, in the first verse of his gospel, this beautiful sort of meta picture of Jesus, he grasps and communicates beautifully a ton of theology. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. That means before us, before he was physically born, as he's about to talk about, he was already there. And it says that he was with God. That means that he was, Jesus was with God in the very beginning. And he goes on to say, He was God, that Jesus was God or is God, meaning he is a full member of the Trinity. God's wholeness in three distinct, unique sort of manifestations and personalities of the Trinity. 
So John in one sentence says, this is who this Jesus is. The word spoken as God spoke our world into being. This word of God comes to us, but he was already here. And by him and through him, Paul would add later on in the book of Colossians, by him and through him and for him, all things were created. In fact, he actually holds all things together. That's who this word of God is. But John goes on in verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. That's all he has to say about that. Then verse 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So John's now mixing metaphors, word and light. Words spoken by God, light into our darkness. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. It's a beautiful image that John paints for us. This is how he sets the table for the birth of Jesus. That he was already with God, that he already was God, and that he is this word spoken into our world by God, a light into our darkness. And I think we would all agree, we would all agree, no matter what season we're in right now, we have all faced our fair share of darkness, haven't we? We have all seen and stumbled and fumbled through darkness, haven't we? And it may have been moments in your life, it may have been seasons in your life. There may be a relationship in your life or a pattern in your life that is still stuck in the dark. This is who Jesus is. He comes in like a bright light and your darkness, your darkness cannot consume his light. But in fact, if you will let him, his light can overcome your darkness. That's who Jesus is. So then jump down to verse 14. Look how John describes the birth account. Now, we all have nativities, and we have shepherds, and we have, you know, all the other accounts have these wise men. This is what John says. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His what? Glory. That's a very important word. Please circle that. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. We have seen. Now, what that literally means, what John is saying is, look, I was there. I saw the glory of God. When I saw, when I physically saw Jesus, I saw the glory of God. And as I looked at Jesus, I knew that I was looking at something much bigger than flesh and bone and blood, which he was. I was seeing a glimpse, a tangible reflection of God's infinite perfection as manifested through this person, our Savior, Jesus. That's how John describes the, the birth of Jesus, this tangible reflection of God's infinite perfection. He is God's glory given to us, that God literally gave his glory to us so that God could be with us, which in fact is one of the names, as you may know, of Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us, God's glory with us in and through Jesus. This is a very significant and powerful reality that God gave of himself and his glory through Jesus for us to be with us. He did not have to do it. Entire Old Testament, you can read through the entire Old Testament from Genesis 3 all the way on. God was still with us but at a distance. That's why there are specific prayers and, and, and priests and, and, and temples and, and prophets and commandments. All of those things were vehicles and channels through which we would try and connect and get a glimpse of God's glory. God was still here. He never left us alone. But our sin had separated us at such a distance, such a length, such a reality out of a distance from God that God could have continued along that route. 
and given us a bunch of rules to follow and a bunch of hoops to jump through so that we could somehow one day get a glimpse of the glory of God. But God said, no, 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 no. There's a bigger plan at work here. I'm going to literally give you my glory. I'm going to give it to you through my son, Jesus. I am going to make a way for you. I'm going to make room for you by emptying out heaven and sending him here to earth. I will send my son, Jesus, to you, to be with you, for you, so that you could receive the gift of my glory, my presence, my power, the reality of me in your world. God gave his glory through his son, Jesus. When we didn't deserve, God gave. When we would ultimately reject, God gave. When we would walk away and wander, God gave. When we would squander the gift of life and light and truth and grace, God gave. When we would fail to see the significance and power of God's presence made known among us, He still gave, regardless of what we'd done or what we hadn't done, regardless, really honestly, of what we brought to the table. He gave. That's who God is. He gives and he gives and he gives and he demonstrates that to us through his son Jesus when he gave us the gift of his glory. So powerful was this concept to the gospel writer John that just a few short pages later, while reflecting on the reality and the weight of a God who gives and how he gives his glory through his son Jesus, John would pen what would become really one of the most recognizable and famous verses of all time. A verse that people still to this day, thousands of years later, have committed to memory. You ask people who know nothing about God, they know this verse and this truth. Football fans on this day, right now, are writing it on a sign in their team's colors and holding out before screaming fans right now. And that verse is what? John 3.16. Now listen, you may have heard it so much that you missed what is actually being taught to us about a God who gives. For God so loved the world that he gave. Friends, before we could ever give anything to God, he gave. He gave. God so loves the world. God loves the world so much that he gives and he gives and he gives and he gave his glory through his son Jesus. And maybe you've heard that verse before. And maybe you've written it off because it's so played out. You've heard it so many times. And oh yeah, John 3, I get it, I get it. I've seen it on TV, I understand. But I don't want you to miss the reality of what God is demonstrating here and using John to paint a picture for, for us. This is a God who gives beyond what we deserve, despite what we really deserve. He's a God who gives and gives. And not just to the world. Because that's another way to hear that verse and go, yeah, yeah, God sort of loves the world, them, us-ish. But the reality is, God loves you. The God of the universe, the one who made room for all of humanity by emptying out heaven and sending his son Jesus, loves you. He loves you. This same God loves you. Yes, the world. Yes, you. Even you. Even me. See, that's the power of the gift of God's glory is it's for me. 
It's not just a message for the world, because it is, but it starts as a message to me. The gift of God's glory is a gift for me that you have to sit with, you have to understand. That's what you, we just celebrated at baptism. Someone saying, I got it. It's for me. It's for me. Despite what I've done, despite my best intentions and my worst and darkest moments, this is a gift. God's power, God's presence, God's love, God's grace, God's truth is a gift of his glory for me. This is an incredibly important concept for us to understand, especially as we enter into Christmas, so that we understand what we're celebrating. We actually have something to celebrate. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you, even in overflow right now, look them in the eyes and say, God's glory is a gift for me. Go ahead and turn to the person next to you. God's glory is a gift for me. It's a gift. It's a gift that God continues to give. Continues to give. He gave and He gives. He gave and He gives. This is who God is. That His glory is not a concept wrapped up and kept in the pages of this book. That His glory is is not something reserved for more spiritual people than you. Or people who have been at this longer than you. God's glory is not just for those who sort of radically come just crashing into a relationship with Jesus. And maybe that's your story. And you can see, oh yeah, God loves the, the lost sheep. And the, but what does God love me? I've kind of played by the rules and I still, I feel emptier in my life. God's glory is for you. Listen to me, those of you who've been Christians for a long time, this is incredibly important for you to hear because you'd think that we'd be the ones who'd get it the most, but so often we're the ones who get it the least. Because you figured out ways to sort of go about this relationship with God. And you have a genuine relationship with God. And it's sincere, but it's lacking the power of God's presence in your life. Just like Jerrica said, you've learned to sort of play the part, but you're not in relationship. You're not present. And so you've kind of found ways to sort of get through and to make it work. And it's not because of bad intentions. You're just trying to do the best you can do. Friends, listen to me. Those of you who've been in a relationship with Jesus for a while now, the gift of God's glory is a gift for you too. And you may have forgotten that. And you may have lost that. And our hope and our prayers for you is this Christmas, this season, you will get a glimpse of God's glory. You will be broken and reminded and brought to your knees to say, how good is God that he would love me? How good is God that he would give to me? And there, I know there are a ton of us watching here, who gathered here right now, listening to this truth, or watching the overflow, or watching online, and you go, okay, I think I understand that on a big level. I can kind of get on board with the God loving everyone thing, but I don't know if this is actually available for me. And you have yet to sort of receive the gift of that glory, that, that tangible reflection of God's infinite perfection, the, the reminder of the reality of God at work in your world that he's actually been here all along. As John 1 says, he was already here, already at work. You're not sort of discovering a new reality. You're just coming into the reality of God and realizing that he's already been here. And for those of you who are in that place to say, I don't, I don't know, you don't, <laughs> you don't know what I've done. You don't know how far I've gone. Like in my past and last night, there's no way that God would waste his glory on me. There's no way that it would be available. I've got to do some stuff before God will even recognize me, let alone receive me. 
I just want to tell you, those of you who are in that spot believing that, that is not a truth. That's actually a lie. The truth that is repeated again and again through Scripture is this glory of God, this presence of God is available to all of us and it's available to you. It's available to shepherds. It's available to prostitutes and tax collectors and ex-cons and druggies and recovering religious addicts and you name it, it is available to you. And it's for you this Christmas. It's for you. And I've been able to watch that reality become a reality for a friend of mine over the last couple months. A friend of mine who is getting that the gift that God has for him in his life is the gift of God's love, God's glory, God's presence, God's, his power at work in his life. And it's been fun for me to watch him receive that really for the very first time in his life. And then to be able to respond to God by giving back to God what God has given him, giving glory to God with his life, glory to God with his efforts, glory to God with his time. And so what I'd love to do as we continue on in our time is show you Joey's story. He's a friend of mine, part of this church, been coming here for a while now, as you'll hear. But it wasn't until recently that he got what God has done for him and is now getting what God actually wants to do in him and through him. So go ahead and check this out. Okay, so I started coming to Soul City uh, actually August 14th, 2011. I had a dear friend of mine, Arona, who would send me a text message telling me she reserved a seat next to her for like six months prior to that. And I would always respond, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. Then I helped out with a wedding that happened here with some Soul City family. And I saw what a wonderful group of people was involved in what was going on here. So I actually showed up on that August 14th and I took that seat. What I loved was there was room for me, for me to learn about God and welcome God back in my life at my own pace. I wasn't crowded, I wasn't pushed. I was allowed to just organically understand where I was coming from and where God was coming from and what God would be to me. It has been over a year since I actually started coming and I just now have truly brought God and Jesus into my life the way I think it's supposed to be. I want to make room so others can really feel what I got out of this. It's really important for me to be able to share this because that's what this is all about, is sharing. There's room for me, I took that seat, now I need to make room for you so you could take that seat. I can't wait to see what happens when we have more room. I'm Joey Vartanen, and I'm gonna make a lot of room for you. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I love it. I love it. What I love is as, as we're seeing what God is doing in Joey's life and the lives of so many at this church. I mean, literally, as you look around this room, if you're an overflow, clearly you can look around that room. We're running out of room for what God is doing here. And the gift of God's glory is stories just like Joey's and yours and mine. 
And what God is, we believe, inviting us into as a church is to be a part of that kind of story. A story that points to only God's glory. That points to only God at work. And we've had some only God kind of moments, a lot of them, over the course of the life of this church in the last two years. Most recently, in fact, you may have heard last week, but in case you missed it, uh, there have been folks who have been uh, praying and praying and praying that God would make a way for us to be able to stay in this space, which was generously donated to our church, given to our church rent-free for two years. And as that time was coming to an end, we said, God, we don't want to, we want to make more room here. We don't want to move. We want to make more room for what you're doing here. And so there are people who generously and sacrificially put their trust and faith in God and were able to create an offer for the folks who own this space that actually enables us to purchase this space and make it our permanent home as a church. And so we are within, by the end of this year, under contract, everything is moving that way, that this will be the permanent home of Soul City Church. Isn't that exciting? And so as we continue to, to make this our home, we continue to look and go, okay, there's not enough room. There's more that we can do here. And there's a lot of things we've held off on as a church because we've been renting this space. We've been renters. But God, if this is going to be our church home for now, and as we look and say, God, okay, it's not enough. It's clearly, you can look around. It's not enough. We need more room for more stories like Joey's, more room for more stories like mine, more room for more stories like yours. And so we've said, God, what would it look like for us to really make this space, to get the highest possible use out of this church, this little corner, for your kingdom? And so we've started a campaign towards the end of this year as people you know, are, are giving towards the end of the year and looking to be a part of something significant. We've called it Let's Make Room. Just like Joey said, we want to make room. Let's make room. And we've set a very audacious, only God kind of goal. We've looked at our space, and as we, even we're here yesterday, if you were here for the Christmas store, you could see that we used every square inch of this church. There was not an inch of this church that wasn't in use yesterday. And we see how our relationship with Brown and how our relationship with this neighborhood is growing. We say we need more room for that. We need more room to be a church better seven days a week than just one. We clearly need more room on Sunday. We need more room for more groups and more folks to come and find hope and healing in this church space. We need more room to be able to offer this space as a gift to our neighborhood and our community. So we set a goal. We said, God, if if you would provide the funds for us to be able to really actually finish this space and then God help us pray towards more space to the east of us, we've set a goal of $250,000 as a church by this year end. Okay, that should make you uncomfortable, just so you know. It seems like a lot of money to us. It is but it's not to God. And our goal of raising that money is truly, truly to make more room. To make more room for the work of God in our lives. To make more room for the gift of God's glory and presence and love and grace and truth to be made known through this church, in this neighborhood, for this city. And what I love is that what God is doing right now is not just helping each one of us sort of contribute to be a part of reaching a goal. God is giving us only God kind of stories. Only God kind of stories that can point to nothing else other than the glory of God at work in our lives and in this church. In fact, Gina and I had the privilege to go to lunch with a couple who just started coming to our church a couple months ago. They moved here. In fact, this summer they got married and started new jobs and moved here all in the same month. That's a lot of change, friends. And as a part of their wedding gift, they were given from one of their parents, gave them a substantial financial gift, but said there's there's strings attached. You know how those gifts can be. 
He said, here's the strings attached to this gift. We want to give you this gift as to start your marriage out with, but we want you to find a place where God's at work, and we want you to give all of it towards that. Isn't that a cool idea? Find where God's at work. We're not going to tell you where or how to do it. Find where God's at work in this new city that you live in and invest in what God's doing. And so as we went to lunch with them and they told us a story and we talked about, they've experienced what it means to come here at the 11 o'clock service and realize there's not enough room. And they said, you know what we want to do is we want to invest into what God's doing here. We want to make room too. Here's what I love. We got a card on Friday that came in and it was from the parents and they had visited our church before. They live in a different city, friends. In fact, this family actually gave to our church when we were first starting, having never been here before, just trusting the work. And then two years later, God brought their daughter and son-in-law to be a part of this church. Only God. Only God. Here's what I love. Not only was the gift that they had given to their kids in that card, they had matched it and doubled it themselves. Friends, only God. And here's the thing. Here's what I love. Those are the kind of stories God's writing. We can't point to ourselves and any kind of great ideas we've come up with. That only points to the glory of God at work. And when we recognize it as that, and we receive it and respond to God with that, then we actually are in the process of giving glory back to God. And so our hope and goal is not only will we reach our goal of $250,000, but that every single person in our church will have an only God kind of story to tell. That you will get to the end and say, I never trusted God like that before. I've never been a part of something like this before. I've never given like this before. I don't understand what's happening. Only God. Only God. So we're at about $20,000 right now as a church. So there's some only God room to grow. But we believe in faith that God will not only meet that goal, but change our hearts and change your story. And that you will get a glimpse, even in giving, of how much God has already given to you. See, because that's what we see written again and again throughout the scriptures, and we want to see written all throughout the stories of every person in our church, that we give glory to a God who gives and gives and gives. And so our gift to him this Christmas is to receive and then to respond. The greatest gift you can give to God is to receive his gift of life, his gift of glory at work in your life, and then respond by giving it back to him And so your homework for this week is simply that. is to ask the question, God, God, what are you asking? What are you inviting me into to give, to respond? How, God, are you inviting me to receive? And for some of us, it's going to tie right into what we're doing here in this space and making more room. For some of us, though, it's going to go to a deeper place as well. Say, God, what would it look like for me to respond with my life to you today? To receive the gift you've offered to me. And so we're going to open up our prayer hall at the end of this service. It's a time for you to go and to spend some time where you can pray for the families and friends of those in Connecticut and those in our city. And maybe to take the time for you to pray and say, God, I want to receive this gift. I want to see a glimpse of your glory in my life. So I want to pray for us. We're going to respond and worship to God. We're going to give like we regularly do here as a church. It's our response to a God who gives and pours blessing onto our lives. We give regularly as a church. We love to do that. It's a discipline that leads to joy and life and freedom. And so we're going to give to God and we're going to worship God. But I'd ask right now that you would join me in a prayer to God right now. 
God, thank you for how you give. How you've given, God. You've given to this church. And you've given so much to me. You've given so much to us. And God, would you just stop us right now in our tracks and help us see your heart as a God who gives. You give your glory, God. You gave your son. You give us life. You give us forgiveness for our sins. You give us freedom, God, from old habits and addictions. God, you give us hope when there's nothing but darkness around us. God, you give and you give and you give. And all you ask of us is that we would receive and respond to you. Receive the gift of your glory, maybe for the first time. Maybe for the first time in a long time, God. You would remind us that you're here and that you are all-powerful and all-loving, that you are both great and good. Remind us, God. Awaken us, God. Help us see, God, that you are stronger than the darkest forces in our world, God. You are stronger, that you are greater, that you are bigger, God, than anything we could ever face. We look to you, God, as the giver of life, and we expect to see your glory. So meet with us now, God, we pray. And give us a glimpse of your heart. And in so doing, change us. Amen.